the most excellent way, the most excellent way. Follow with me. Stay with me and you'll understand what I'm talking about. I, um, as you recall, a couple, two or three years ago, we used the acronym STEP UP to talk about some of the values. And these are still, this is on our website. Some of the values that drive us in this, in this era, in this season of our ministry together. Talked about servanthood and teamwork and, and, uh, talk, and, and we talked about excellence, that's the E. We talked about prayer and we talked about uh, unwavering faith and I forget the other P right now but if you had been if you had really been checking it out you would be getting me in check right now right but the E was excellence and we talked about the fact and we did a whole sermon on that and talked about the aspect of us doing ministry and serving God and living for God in a way that's characterized by excellence uh, meaning that we give God our best right and I believe that that's a, a valid value in the body of Christ I believe that that's an important pursuit on our part because um, sometimes as Christians we give everybody else our best and then we give God our leftovers right so I, 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 I strive towards excellence my my personal philosophy the way I live my life I have I years ago I dedicated myself to becoming a lifelong learner and so I am always trying to grow I'm always trying to learn I'm always trying to get better at whatever it is I'm involved in until I go home Right, so I, I will still be pushing all the way. Cause I, I I'm not going to give up. Some of y'all get 45 years old and you're about ready to quit. I and I'm I'm older than that. And I don't say my age no more. And I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. So so I believe in that. But on the other hand, I was years ago. I, some of the so-called word churches. They, they, the, the thing going on, they would talk about ex- excellence in ministry, and some of the guys couldn't pronounce excellence. They said, excellence in ministry. And excellence tended to come off like this. It tended to come off like snobbishness. Because excellence, rather than being the heart thing of giving God your best and the, the quality thing of living your life with distinction and doing things well, it kind of be, became this kind of elitist snobbish thing. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? And it kind of was heartless and sometimes loveless because it's like, I, I know, you know, my, my big thing is it's like start, I, I have a time thing, you know. It's, it, my time thing is that I'm generally never late for anything. And, uh, and I've been like that a long time. And so, you know, I, I, I trip with that. And, and, you know, we as a church, we struggle with that, right. Um, uh, and I know sometimes I thought, you know what, and see, I, I want to just tell you, married brothers, be careful with this because sometimes I know I know this is the thing, you know, you know what? If she ain't ready, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to leave her and go. I had a friend did that. I'm going to tell you, it wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. And sometimes it's like in church, well, you know what? We believe in excellence ministry, so well, I don't care if nobody here. We're going to start this. Well, what's the point of starting the service and nobody's here? I ain't going to be up here like some dummy by myself just singing, you know. While you, you, you know how, you know when I, we, we talk about doing things well, we talk about excellence, it, becomes, it can become loveless and heartless, and it can become a, just more drivenness because it just has to be that way. Because sometimes you can do excellence, but you can do excellence in a way that's flexible, in a way that takes into consideration from a compassionate basis, people's needs and people's concerns, and, and the reality of the situation that's happening, and not just be a rigid set of rules, right? Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians, what is happening is that Paul is addressing the fact that this church has a lot of giftedness in their midst. 12, 13, and 14, chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians are dealing with the subject, really, of spiritual gifts. And when we talk about the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, it's called the love chapter, but it really does not sit alone and isolated from its context, right? And because we, you know, I do weddings, you know, we read profusely from 1 Corinthians 13, try to drill that into people, right? And, uh, and we think of it in the Bible as being about love, and it just kind of stands here, but it is in a given context. And, and so the context in which this passage finds itself is the context of, of the way that we relate to one another as members of Christ's church in the way that we use the gifting that God has placed in our midst. And so in chapter 12, Paul talks about the fact that God has placed these various giftings in the church. And this actually 
could warrant a lot more discussion, but God has placed various gifts in the church, and they're all good, and all of us have received them, and they are given to us in order that we may serve the common good and not simply or merely aggrandize ourselves. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes when we think about gifts, you know, some of you came up in churches that were Pentecostal or full gospel, and they talked about the gifts of the Spirit, and it seemed like people's gifts were basically to make them feel good. Somebody had the gift of tongues, and you knew it, and everybody around you knew it, and the people had to wait for them to get done with their thing while you're trying to preach knew it, and you were, as Paul will describe in certain places in 1 Corinthians, you were edifying yourself, right? But he makes it clear that these gifts are not given to you so that you can uh, show off and that you can showboat and that you can manipulate and control other people or that you can show people how spiritual you are they're given to all of us whatever god has placed in your life he's placed it in your life for the common good of the body of christ and so the implication is that you should as a, every christian should be involved in some some setting in which they find themselves in relationship and fellowship with other believers in some sort of accountable relationship so that those gifts can be used and 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 the body of christ can benefit from what he has put in you that's what chapter 12 talks about and then in chapter 14 he talks about the misuse of spiritual gifts and you should read it sometimes because he talks about the fact that people oftentimes use particularly the sign gifts things like tongues and prophecy um, and, and, and exhortation they use those gifts in a way oftentimes speaking out of turn in a way that is disruptive and in a way that clouds what god wants to do and you could just imagine if we come into a service like this and all of you had the gift of prophecy and all of you had one right now and you was going to say it because the lord didn't give it to me and i got to i passed i got to tell it and so we have a line here 25 of y'all and you and each one of you need about 10 minutes to tell the vision that you done seen some of you have been, and then we open up the floor. I, we, I think that it is very enriching in our lives together that we hear from various members of the body. I, I, I relish the testimonies and the words of exhortation and, or sometimes just words because, I, because church is not supposed to be about a platform show. It's supposed to be about an interactive thing. And that's what the 14th chapter gets into that, talks about the fact that it should work in an orderly way, but it should also be under the guidance and the leadership of the, of, of, of the, the, of, of the church leaders. And so it should, be, it should be judged by Scripture. It should be checked out, all those things. So that's 14. But in the middle of 12 and 14 sits chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And, and, and it, what you have to, to get chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians right. You've got to come out of chapter 12 because it's, it's probably not the best chapter division here, could it? but it's, it's an awkward place. Because in chapter 12, in verse 31, he says this. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. He's talking about spiritual gifts. He says, and yet I will show you, and he uses these words, the most excellent way. I will show you the most excellent way. And then he goes on from there. That's the bridge into chapter 13. Now, I, I, that's, I, I want that to be one of the bylines of my life. I want to be I want to make sure that in my life I am pursuing the most excellent way. And when I say that, contextualizing this into this, this passage of Scripture, I realize that for me to live in the most excellent way, there's some things that I may equate that with that it probably doesn't have anything to, to do with. I know there are Christians that really think that, that, uh, that, that those kind of things are matters of style, matters of popularity. But... but it's, there's something else involved. He says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. He says, covet the best gifts. In other words, there are, and, and I know like some of us, I mean, I am honored that God chose me and placed me in a position to be able to, to, to preach the gospel and to lead his people and to, to disciple others and to lead worship and to do the things to serve people in the way that, I, that I've been privileged and allowed to do that. He says, but while you, cover, while you covet the best gifts, I want to show you a much better way. And this is what Paul is getting at. And this is the underlying theme of what we're talking about today. Love is the pathway. Love. And this is Valentine's Day. Now, Willie Craver called me yesterday. He said, hey, you go preach on love tomorrow? I said, actually, I am. He, he called me out. I don't know if I did last Valentine's Day, but I am today. And, and he says, it says this, love is the pathway to true excellence in the Christian life. And I can say that, and it, it can land in front of you as some words that, you know, kind of, kind of stuff we hear in church, right? 
But let's, let's try to get a little bit of a handle on what the Apostle Paul is, is, is communicating to the church there at Corinth. He wants them to understand the, 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 the importance of love over all the other stuff that, that, that's involved with us being the church. You hear what I'm saying? Because what really matters most, and don't you really want to get, don't you want to get to what really matters and not just all the peripheral issues and all the, the, all the side stuff? You know how we as Christians, we can get caught up in stuff that, that's way over here, right? Things that are far afield from the, the core of the gospel and the, the, the center of God's concern in his heart. And we're way over here with stuff. You know, that's why folks are fighting over, fighting over choir robes. And Jesus is saying, that's not where I am today. Said today that there's something in the air. And one of the things that's not in the air when we talk about the spirit is all the petty stuff that church folks can get involved in because they're just in another zone. And so, you know, we, get, we, we need to understand that what really matters is not whether you possess a particular spiritual gift or not. What really matters is not how smart you are. It's nice to be smart, believe me. I, but, but that's not really, in the final analysis, that's not the main thing. What, what really matters is not how much money you have or, or, or how famous you are or how well-liked you are. What really matters is how well you love. That's what really matters. All the other stuff doesn't really matter. And so uh, when we learn to love like Jesus, when we learn to love like our Heavenly Father, when we learn to love others the way we have been loved, and I hope you know the extent to which you've been loved and how you've been loved, and if you don't, because one of the problems in life is you can't love nobody else really until you've been loved. You won't know how. Some of you know that's the problem we have in relationships because we, we've been battered and bruised and mistreated and no one has ever made us feel really loved for who we are. And we get in relationships and we, we're faced with the challenge of trying to love somebody else and we don't have anything to draw from because we don't know what true love looks like. But I, I just want to insert this. If you want to know what true love lo- looks like, I want to point you to the cross of Calvary. I want to point you to Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who died in your place, who died sacrificially, who emptied himself into this world to come and to pay, to pay the price for us. That's what love looks like. Love is sacrifice. Love is giving. Love is unselfish. But, but So when we learn to love like Jesus, that's when we, we discover the, the, mo- the most excellent way in life. Let me just talk about three things here. And the first one is that let me give you the three. I want, and we're going to look at the first portion of this chapter. Talk about lo- love's preeminence, love's um, properties, and love's permanence. Love's preeminence, love's properties, and love's permanence. Now, the preeminence is here in, 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 in verse 1 of chapter 13. He says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom, all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, there are three things here that he points out right away. First of all, love is superior to sensations. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or, or a, 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 a clanging cymbal. Now, now you may be a speaker, you might be a preacher or a teacher, but there's no substitute for love. No matter how great your oratory skills no matter how beautiful your speech patterns, no matter how brilliant and, and, and targeted your rhetoric may be, without love, it means nothing. He says, you are literally a clanging symbol. Now, I like symbols, right? I know that, Demetri, you like symbols. How many symbols do you own? I bet. Now, I'm going to tell you something, though. Nobody ever calls for a symbol solo. You don't show up, well, the piano playing here, but we got some symbols. That's, that really is cool for us piano players, right? They need us. Symbols are beautiful, and when properly played, they have a, they're, they're, they're indispensable for, 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 for the musical environment. But, but listen, Paul is saying, if, if you, I don't care how good you speak or what you say or how, how well you're able to communicate and, and articulate, 
If you don't do it with love, if you don't have love, it's all just a bunch of noise. And now listen, because somebody put it like this, great oratory can, can move a, a person's emotions. Great rhetoric can move a person's mind and, and, and a great speech can move a person's will. But only love can move a person's heart. And what he's bringing into play here is the fact that in pagan worship, that, that his readers would have been familiar with. You remember back in, in the Old Testament when Elijah is, is up against the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, and you remember they were just making a lot of noise. That's why we, you know, we talk about, I like the, the proper interpretation is, you know, you know, make a joyful sound unto the Lord. Not a, not a, a, a horrific cacophony. And there's a time to just kind of let the noise rise, sometimes just a big sound, and then, but there needs to be some understanding and some intelligence intelligibility and some creativity. But in the pagan worship, they just would make a lot of noise and clang a lot of cymbals and hit a lot of stuff and trying to move and trying to stir up the gods. Paul says when we do our ministry that way, when we, when we, when we try to use uh, the sensational speech, and, and some of you know that, people that, that, that there are people that in our world or around us that we've been involved with that, that have the gift of tongues and that use that in such a way as to where, okay, is this all about Jesus or is it all about you? And, and so he's saying if we say all those great things, if we have all that, all, that, all that ability going for us, all of those gifts operative in our lives and don't have love, it means nothing. I'll tell you what, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want just my life to be consist of my life to consist of a lot of hot air. I don't want to, to preach and teach and, and, and disciple and lead and share and mentor and walk alongside people only for it to mean nothing in the end because there was no love there. And knowing that ultimately that you're doing all this stuff, but you have no lasting impact in anybody's life in the absence of love what he says so love is superior to the sensational love is superior to the spectacular he says in verse 2 if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains any of y'all got that kind of faith I'm working on it I said Jesus would you teach me to pray with more focus and more faith because I want to, I want to enter into that spirit of what, what James talks about in, in the 5th chapter where he says the the, the the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. I, I, want, I want that to be, I hope that's, that, that, that becomes your thing as well. But he says, you can have all that going on, right? He says, if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, he says, now before he says, he, 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 he says, I gain nothing. Now, well, he says, uh, he says, I'm a resounding gong or clanging symbol. Now he says, if I have all this stuff, guess what? I am Nothing. I am nothing. I, uh, you, you know, I have like Texas roots, right? And so, and my parents came out of Texas in the 1930s to LA, but there was a lot, the Texas, Houston, all that stuff was. And I, back in the, when I was coming up, people around me would say, when they were demeaning or diminishing somebody, they'd say, you know, you ain't nothing. And uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody ever told me that, but I've heard it said. Or they say of somebody, you know, he ain't nothing. And, and you know, being uh, someone who reads the, the scripture and is, has a biblical worldview, I can say of no human being that they are nothing. I can't say that. Because each one of you and every one that I would meet in the course of my life was created in the image of God. And though sin has marred and, and clouded that image, God still loves and cares about everybody. But Paul says, listen, you can have gifts of prophecy and you can do all these spectacular things in the kingdom of God. And you can have mountain-moving faith, which suggests to me that you can build big churches and you can launch great movements. You can accomplish some stuff for the kingdom of God, but if you don't have love, he says, I am nothing. That's scary stuff. All these spectacular abilities, but even if you're able to do all that stuff, and then he finally, love is superior to sacrifice. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, right? And I do not have love, guess what? I gain nothing. 
Can you imagine just giving it all away because, you know, hey, I've got a million dollars. Some poor folks need a million dollars for this, this, this philanthropic adventure. Here's a million. I'll go, I'll go back to being poor broke again. But if you don't do it in love, he says, you, because you know what happens when we, as those who trust God and those who love God and love others, when we do things like give of our resources, when you give down into that place where it hurts, you know what I'm talking about? When you give sacrificially, when you give that when you really don't have, like, like the Corinthians did, and Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians, when you, know the, you know what happens, right? God will make sure that you are rewarded in this life or the next. God will make sure that God will reciprocate. There's nothing that you give to God or to others. There's nothing you do in the kingdom of God. And when it's done from a heart of love, that will be ignored or overlooked. But he says, if you do it without love, you gain nothing. There is no reward. There is, n- there is nothing coming back. We can give everything we own. We can even give up our bodies on, on the altar of sacrifice to martyrdom, right? Here I am, just kill me for Jesus. If you don't do it in love, he says you gain nothing. It's a waste of time. It doesn't profit you one bit. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my money. I don't want to waste me. I wouldn't want to go through those things and give that much and do all that only to turn up at the end. And Jesus says, you know what? You did that, but it wasn't for me. And it wasn't because you cared about nobody else. You did it because it made you look good in the moment. Or you did it for you or you did it. You gave the money because somebody guilted you into giving it. I don't want, to, I don't want that to be the testimony of my life. He says, if you do all that stuff at the end of the day, you gain nothing. If, it doesn't, if love is not involved. And the point that I want to make today is crystal clear. In the absence of love, what Paul is saying here is that we as Christians are no better than the heathens that are around us. We're no better than anybody else. We're, we're basically out in the cold when it comes to the blessings of God. Without love, the things we do don't mean anything. Without love, you can't really serve anybody. Without love, you can't really do anything of any import for the kingdom of God. Without love, it's all meaningless. Without love, you may as well stay home. Without love, you may as well just turn over and go back to sleep on Sunday morning. Regardless of your gifts, regardless of your abilities, regardless of your talents, without love, and I'm not talking about the love quest that sometimes propels us to do things because we want people to like us, but I'm talking about what in, the, in our inability or in the absence of our doing what we do out of a love for God and a love for other people, then we're just wasting. Humanly speaking, you may accomplish something. You may make a few dollars. You may, you may win a few friends. You may gain popularity, but you won't gain the blessings of heaven. So that's, that, that's love's preeminence. Love is the thing that dictates the value of what we do. Now, let's talk about love's properties, the second part of this. Because he goes on to say, I'm going to tell you what, real, what true love is. And I know... Our popular music has been trying to do that for years and years and years, right? I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. And she say, I don't know either. <laughs> is somebody you know? I thought I knew. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and, it, and, in, and then let me just I digress for a moment. See, you, you digress all the time, Charles. This is, being Valentine's Day, it, it's, it's refreshing and hopefully... It is uh, stabilizing for us to talk about the love of God from a biblical perspective. Because, you know, in our culture, uh, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, because Valentine's Day is associated with anything from pure, genuine childhood friendship to youthful infatuation, which has its place, right? Got me in a pretty good spot. To... uh, you know, mature, romantic, well, to, you know, romantic love in its simplest form, to mature married love, to folks who've been dating too long and need to get married, <laughs> to, to crass and, and crude eroticism, right? And in our culture today, notice how the, notice how the, the scale tips now. So, like, you know, you know to where it, we talk about Valentine's Day and love, Talk about love, everything ends up being sex, doesn't it? Doesn't it? 
because it's all about the gratification of, of, the, of, of our own flesh, right? So on Valentine's Day today, we as the people of God, we celebrate. We celebrate this, this, this thing. That's when I was, uh, I'm going to give you a couple pieces of advice. If you are, and this is, I'm not, if you want to buy a nice Valentine's Day card for your wife, guys, and it's like Saturday afternoon, I'm going to tell you where you, you know, I know like the cards be all gone, right? But the mahogany section in Hallmark and Torrance. <laughs> think, think about it. <laughs> Way out there on Sepulveda and Hawthorne Boulevard. That, that was like, it was, it was nicely stocked. <laughs> I saw this one card. I, I, I didn't get it for you, but this was a card. And this was, you know, one of the African-American greeting cards, right? My, and it was, you know, to your wife, right? And it was beautiful the first part. Then he said, at the end, he said, you are one of the, be- you are one of the best women I know. I'm like, I-, I wanted to buy it just to show it to you. I said, you want to get somebody killed up in here? Shauna, tell Dimitri, don't bring home no car. Who are the other ones that you... You are one of the, I, 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 and I thought, and I didn't have my phone. I had left it in the car. I wanted to take a picture of the car. I said, what are you doing? But it's, it's literally, said, it's all this stuff. You're my wife. You're one of the best women I know. Happy Valentine's. I'm like, happy skillet upside your head. <laughs> I know a friend of mine one time, he was in public. He referred to his wife as his main squeeze. He said, wait a minute. He said, I mean, my only squeeze. You had to watch that stuff. But love, he says here, listen to what he says in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. I, I won't take all day on these, but they, they speak pretty plainly to us. It does not boast. It, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I know that's a lot, and I went through that quick. Let's, let's go by them. Through those, through those a little more slowly. First of all, love is patient. Just think about it. And think about the degree to which we, as people, tend to be impatient, particularly with people that we purport ourselves to love. Right? Patience means that I don't sit around waiting for all my life forever for things to come to pass. But patience means that I give my, my neighbor, my brother, my sister, my wife, my husband, my, my child, I give them room and space to grow and to develop. You, you see what I'm saying? Because you know what? Everybody, and I have, I have to, we all have to understand, everybody isn't where you are. Everybody hasn't learned the lessons you've learned. Everybody hasn't had your experience. You know, everybody may not be as smart as you. And we... And, and one of the ways we do the opposite of love is that we are in, extremely impatient with others when they are not on our level of, of achievement or attainment or understanding. Love is patient. Waits for people to figure it out. Waits for people to come along. Give your kids some space. You, you five years old, you should know how to program the thermostat by now. He probably does better than you. Now, you, you seven, if I give you the keys, you should be able to drive the car by now. <laughs> or you've been saved 12 years and you shouldn't be having no trouble with that sin that, that's tempting. How do you know why and what? Because people have been saved 60 years and, and the devil will tempt anybody. But we look at people, we're impatient. We want them to move along at our pace. And that's the challenge with doing church because everybody don't get it like we do. And if you don't realize that, try being a pastor. You know what I'm talking about. And those of you that, most of you are involved in in ministry and service in the church. We know how it is because we want to bring everybody along at the same pace. And it's really, that's not possible. And so we want to, we got to sometimes slow down. Just like when you got your kids, you know, my my son and and my grandson, you know, just thinking it won't be long. They'll be taking little walks together. And, And, you know, you can imagine when Max is three years old and Charlie's, um, you know, taking him on a walk and, and, you know, and you, and you see parents behave this way. And it's like, he says, come on, son. You know, first of all, you hold his hand, right? And he said, well, you're walking too slow. And he just go on walking. And, you know, next thing you know, he's like two blocks away. He's, and, he's, and, and Camille would say, well, where's Max? Oh, you know, he was walking too slow. I had, I had to come on. I had to get over here. That's almost like the rationale of a, uh, uh, a, brother, a partner of mine years ago. We had, books, we, had a music, we had a gig, a music thing we were doing. 
and uh, so the dude didn't show, period. And later on, we said, what happened to you? He was the drummer. He said, well, he said something to the effect of, well, I figured I was going to be late. So I'm like, so no, no show is better than late? But, you know, it's like, I got, we got to get where we're going, so we, we can't wait. But see, the thing is, what's the point in getting to the destination if, if you ain't with me? What's the point in getting to the end game if, if, you, if I haven't brought along my brothers and sisters? Because you know, what we're, you know what we're here for? We're not here for the mature Christians to get their praise on and for the, those of you that need to be fed to get that deeper word from God. You'll get it, I'm sure. But that's not the primary purpose. We're here because there are, there, are, there are people, there are men and women and boys and girls that are here that are in their faith. There are young people that are trying to learn the things of God. There are people that are just starting out on their journey and they need somebody to come along. And, and we say, well, I can't wait for you because I can Well, what's the point in getting there without them what's the point of getting to the end point what's the point of getting to the finish line and you left people behind that were depending upon you and looking to you and expecting you to be there to encourage them but i ain't got time for you these that's why sometimes i hate hanging out with other preachers because see i'm gonna tell you something i don't talk about y'all to other people except say good things i love my congregation i love my church i don't it's like I don't talk. You know, if any, nary one of you, including my children, ever heard me say a word about my wife to you. And I never will, even if she was something wrong with it. But it ain't. But I just don't roll that way. I haven't said, never told you nothing about no issues with my children because I don't, we keep that in the family, right? So when I hang out with other, and sometimes people talk, you know, them people, there's just something else. I, just don't, I, I love my people. Whatever issues I have with Grace Chapel, it stays at Grace Chapel. Because guess what? I'm one of them. I'm, I'm not, I don't stand up over or off somewhere. I, we are all a part of a family, and we are all in this thing together. So we need to be patient with each other to get where we're trying to get to. That's what love does. It says love is kind. Do I need to elaborate on that? Sometimes in the church, we have a way of doing spirituality that is mean-spirited. And we make that seem spiritual. But I just got to tell you the truth. I'm, I'm going to be in your face in Jesus' name. I don't know why you dyed your hair that color, the Lord says. But, but he says you need to cut it off and do it again. Say, get out of my business. Don't be mean-spirited. Don't come up saying stuff you wouldn't. You know, and we use God to do all kinds of unkind. Love is kind and considerate. That's what love is. So he says, he starts by telling you what love is. It's patient and it's kind. And so it begins in very simple ways. If you want to walk in the love of Jesus, I, you know, I know you would want something deep. But the first thing you can do is ask God to give you patience to, 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 to wait on people, to allow them time to grow, to give them a chance to, 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 to get to where you are. And the other thing you can do is ask God to give you a spirit of simple kindness and compassion and consideration so that you treat people properly. You talk to people properly, right? I, I love you in Jesus' name. Now get out my face. See that those things are incompatible. He said, but now this is what love is not. Look, he says this, these verbs. He talks about how love does not behave, and and uh, he says, first of all, love. Does, verse four, love does not envy. Okay, you know what? You know what? You know, you know, how folks are right. You got some new shoes or something. That's what I said. You sitting there looking at that person's shoes. How they get them shoes? They, they probably, yeah, they probably paid more money for them shoes. They shouldn't be spending all their money on them shoes. But you know, you wish you had them shoes. He always wearing them nice suits. Look at it. Who you think you is coming up in here in that nice car? And you know what the, the real motive is that you want that one and you want something like it. And you just envy everything somebody else does. You are looking at them and envying them. Love doesn't do that. Love is not proud. We could say love is not boastful, right? It, it, it doesn't, love is not always sticking its chest out trying to get the attention and trying to, to, to prove who it is. Love isn't boastful. Let me, you know, let me tell you what I've done. I, let me tell you what I am. And let me tell you what I have. Let me tell you my achievements. Let me tell you all of my accomplishments. Love doesn't roll that way. Love does not dishonor others. In other words, it's not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Absolutely not. Love is not easily angered. See, as we, are, as we drink deeply from the love of God and as God 
allows us more and more to walk in his love, that, that hair-triggered temper that we have will have to go. That rude disposition we have will have to be healed. That, that, that proud, that pride that, 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 we, that, that propels us will have to be subdued. We'll have to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. That, that envy has to go. He says it's not easily angered. And then finally, this may be one of the most important of the list. He says love keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, it's been said that one of the great arts in life is to learn what to forgive and learn what to forget. I, I really, I'm honest with you, I don't want to have, and I've, I've preached this before, but this is huge in our lives. You know why? Because we as human beings tend to carry, we tend to catalog all of the trespasses that, and so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Don't really mean it. Because you, if you wanted to for, do that, then what you would do, see, if I, want, if, I, if I want to forget about something, I throw it out. If I want to forget about those, those bell-bottom jeans from 1974 or the polyester double-knit shirts with the big collars, then, then I, you don't, I don't keep them hanging in my garage. I throw them out. And what happens is we need, to, we need to be those who keep no record. People, we, we got these long lists in our minds, that, that, and we use these to make us feel better about ourselves because we've been wronged and we've been mistreated and we've been, we've been, we've been you know, someone has, has, has wounded us, and we can use that to make us put ourselves in that perpetual place of being a victim because it gives us victims' rights. It gives us the ability to, to call, to use that card when, when we don't do so. Well, you know, I'm, I, Lord, you know... Uh, uh, People done messed over me. See, I got this list. Look at this. I, I, don't I get a free pass? People talk to me funny. People look at me funny. People have, I've been abused. I've been misused. I've been mistreated. But love opts for another degree of excellence in life. You hear what I'm saying? Love pursues another level of living that goes beyond that kind of paltry pettiness. Love takes us to another level of existence where we can let go of the past and give up the list and shred it and, or you know, clean the hard drive, get it securely erased and, and then burn it and get it gone so that we can live with an eye towards the future, firmly planted in the present and not always looking back 20, 30, 40 years, keeping records and lists and catalogs of all the things because love doesn't do that. And let me tell you this, if you're in a relationship, any relationship, if you're in the church, anything, you, will, you cannot love. You can't walk in love. You can't succeed in love. You can't succeed in that relationship if that's what you do. You will have to make a decision to get to the best of what that can be. You'll have to make a decision at some point in your life that I don't want to live keeping that constant record of wrongs. That ledger, that journal will need to be burned. Those sheets will need to be shredded. That stuff needs to be left behind. And that's what love will do. Love doesn't just say it's all good. Oh, don't worry about it. It's all good. Till next time. And let me give you a little, a, a, little, a little caveat here. I'm not saying to let people walk over you and abuse you and take advantage of you and not protect yourself, your heart, your life, your soul, your body, your situation. It's not what I'm talking about. So don't go and pass and say Keep no record of wrong. So. They, they shot at me yesterday, and I'm just going to go right back. Well, here I am. I'm, I'm, I love you. Love gives the, the wisdom of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life gives you wisdom to know there's some people that you don't, there's some toxic people in your life you don't need to be around. I can love you and not be hanging out with you. I can love you and not be go, you know, going out to the restaurant with you. I can love you and not be talking on the phone and texting you all the time. I can love you and not be in a relationship with you if you are toxic for my life. I can do that. But, and I can do that without keeping a long list of, a long laundry list of your failures. I just know that in my experience, this hasn't worked and it doesn't glorify God. And so I can leave it behind. But otherwise, we move on behind that because love keeps no records of wrongs. Someone wrote, they said, one of the most miserable men I ever met was a professed Christian who actually kept a notebook, uh, uh, a list of wrongs he felt others had committed against him. Warren Wiersbe wrote that it's real. He said, this guy actually did that. None of you has done that. You keep them on your smartphone. 
easier. You can talk them into your notes app on the iPhone. Mm -hmm. Eugene looked at me funny. Chrissy looked at me funny. Chrissy always looks at me funny. <laughs> you know. My wife laughed at my joke too loud. <laughs> you know, let it go. Forgive, if you talk about forgiveness, if you mean forgiveness, you, you've got to wipe the slate clean and don't hold stuff against people. Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And then verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave who? Forgave you. All right. All right. So that's what love, so love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud, it doesn't dishonor others, meaning it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. And then he goes a little further. He says, look, in verse 6, he says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This is why we probably have to really think about if we want to walk in the love of God, and if we're going to pursue the most excellent way, we're probably have to think about some of the media we consume. Because there's so much of, of our entertainment these days has to do with dishing dirt on people. If I'm walking in the love of God, I do, because he says, what did he say? Love does not delight in evil. No, y'all, y'all get a kick out of some of this stuff. Oh, look at that dummy. He said, love doesn't do that. I was listening to the brothers on their little talk last night. I'm saying all these cats running for president claim to be Christian, and they are dogging each other out big time, talking trash. I said, this is, this is crazy talk. There's no way you can do that. You can't be a follower of Jesus Christ and shred your brothers and, you know, you, to, to, to pieces with your words. They're liars. They're all, and you do it public. You half truths and quarter truths and 10% truths or no truths. It just doesn't fly. Love, but love doesn't delight in evil. It doesn't delight. Love does not like to dirt, uh, dish dirt and stir up mess. Love doesn't like to be involved in all the latest gossip. It rejoices with the truth. And I know you say, oh, that's what I'm talking I'm just trying to get you the truth. Uh-huh, what really going? No, that's not the truth that love rejoices. The truth that's revealed by God about who God is and about his love for us and about the forgiveness in Christ Jesus. The truth that builds us and lifts us up out of the slew of, of, of despair and, and the despondency of sin. The, the, the truth that sets us free, not just the truth of all the dirt and all the garbage that's floating around in the world around you. Love doesn't want to be involved. I don't want to get myself dirty. It's like I got a new red coat. You see, we say, why is it red? Because it's the blood of Jesus. I got this new red coat. Uh, so there was a couple red coats in the house on this morning, right? Oh, y'all got your red coats on. And, and I got this coat, and I, I don't want to get it. I don't want to go. I said, but Charles, come on. We're going over to the junkyard, and we're going to dig out some transmissions from the junkyard. Because I'm going to fix the transmissions. I want you to just get in here with me and help. I said, I can't go down in that junkyard with you. I got my new red coat on. I don't want to get my red coat dirty. I don't want to get my garments that have been cleaned and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I don't want to get soiled and get all grub, grub, grubby and grimy and greasy following you down in some junkyard to get some transmission out some 62 Nash Rambler or something. And we got to be that way. I'm walking in the love of God. I don't want to. I, I'm going to get myself out of this, all this, all this controversy. I don't want to hear all this gossip. I don't want to hear. I, I don't need to know everybody's business and everybody's dirty laundry. I don't need to see everybody's YouTube and everybody's Instagram. I don't need to know all that stuff. But I, I want to walk in the love of God. I want to think better of people around me because I've got this responsibility as a child of God to pray for the lost and to love lost people. I've got, I'm called to love messed up people like, you know, like we were. I'm called to love struggling and stumbling and bumbling people and sinful, wicked people. I'm called to love people who do heinous things because Jesus died for them too. How do you love and pray for and be there for people while you are preoccupied with their calamity and their tragedy and their foolishness and they become the butt of all your jokes? Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. But certainly that puts us on the side of justice as well, that we don't delight in the injustice in the world around us, in the atrocities that are committed in the work of the devil. And then he goes on in verse 7, he says, love always protects. This is what we'll do for each other, okay? We talked about this on Wednesday. We'll mention that in a moment. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. 
it always perseveres. We talked we were in First uh, Peter on Wednesday night, and Peter, as he gets through this letter, he's encouraging his readers to deal with the imminent persecution that's around them, and he, the, the the response and the defense he gives them is that they are to basically respond to maltreatment by doing good and living well and honoring God. And he says toward the end, he says, you've got you to love one another deeply from the heart. He says, because love covers a multitude of sins. So what does that mean? It don't mean love means you cover a multitude of your sins. But love, see, love means that when you fail, I'm not just going to be there to try to bust you out and put you on blast. You, let me tell you, I'm going to tell, tell, tell you what she did. I'm just going to tell it. Somebody need to expose this. When I love you, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to put your business in the street. Amen, somebody. Amen. When I love you, I, if I'm called upon to restore you, that doesn't mean I'm going to to, to, to broadcast your situation. If I love you, I'm going to be patient with you and walk you through your challenge. If I love you, I'll be there for you. I'm not going, I'm not going to, to put all your stuff in the street because love covers a multitude. It always protects, Paul says here, it, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. And let me, I know I'm going long, but uh, there's, there's, there's truth here that you need to pursue that most excellent life that you are trying to get to in your life. Listen, listen. Uh, Somebody put it like this. It does not mean that a Christian is to allow himself to be fooled by every rogue or to pretend that he believes that white is black, but in doubtful cases, he will prefer being too generous in his conclusions to, uh, 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 rather than suspecting one another uh, unjustly. And, and what he's saying there is that we're not fools. We're not idiots. We're not like, oh, just come and take advantage of us. I'll tell you how I've responded in the years and just in ministering to people in this community. It's like people come to me. There are a couple ways to do things. One way to do it would be this. Everybody that comes to the church that says, uh, Pastor, I'm really going through something. I don't know you. I just came here, and I need, you can, you, I need some money. Well, the one way to do that would be say, absolutely not. We don't do that. Um, my, my, my dad was in the security business. I followed him into that business for some time. Worst decision of my life. Uh, but um, I remember my dad was hardcore, man. Robert E. Williams, I wish you could know him. He was hardcore. Cherie, <laughs> she laughs because she don't know the hard. She just not know the nice side of him. But my dad was hardcore. And so he's in, the, he's in his office. And, one of his, and all these guys, he was paying them like minimum wage. A lot of them like older guys, and they were like armed guards and stuff. Somebody gonna take them guns from you guys, uh, and this, you know. And so somebody calls and say, "Well, you know, uh, Mr. Williams, I-, I need. Can I get a? I need a twenty dollar advance to a payday." And my dad had a little speech. You know, I made a. I made an agreement with my bank. I told him. Uh, uh, I told him if if I don't loan money, no, this is something like, well, I won't loan money, and then you don't do security service. <laughs> Blew that dude out right away, you know. And I was like, oh, man, you're going to work for it. You get the man 20 out. But, you know, we could be that way. It's like, we ain't, we ain't doing nothing for nobody. And then the other extreme is everybody, we everybody's, you know, sap. Pastor, I need $150 to get on the bus to go to Crenshaw. I said, okay, praise the Lord. <laughs> so, we, we work with this thing, but here's the deal. I, I kind of want to be this way. Because I want my life to reflect the love of Jesus. I'm going to tell you how I want to be. I, I want to be, I got to where I, I can't give, you know, in L.A., you can't give everybody to ask you, ask you for money. You be running to the ATM all day, every day. And I got, I got, I try to help my kids, you know. So I can't give every, that's, that's unreasonable, untenable. I don't know you, and when your tennis shoes are better than the shoes I'm wearing, you are automatically disqualified. I'm wearing New Balance, cost me about 60 bucks. You got on like some Air Jordans. No, you don't get on my money. Uh, but but I, I, some, I would rather err towards being a little gullible. I would rather, do you hear what I'm saying? I would rather err on the side of being a little bit, a little bit pliable. So sometimes I, sometimes I just, I feel that 
something inside says, give that man $5. Okay, fine. You know, I don't want to be the, no, I ain't giving nobody nothing. I, I said, Lord, would you help me to hear your voice? Don't let me lose my compassion for people. Yeah, there are a lot of players in this city, but don't let me lose my compassion for the people in the world around me. So I'd probably rather err on the side of giving you a little too much patience and giving you a little bit too much space and giving you a little bit too much help than doing nothing. Y'all don't believe this stuff. <laughs> All right. And then finally, let me wrap this up so I can get you home. Because it's Valentine's Day. Dimitri, I hope you got some nice plan. He said, he said yeah, Pastor, I brought, I brought my family to church today. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> That's a good one, brother. <laughs> he says, look, he says in verse 8, love never fails. Now, you all know, see, this, there's an existential angst that immediately occurs here. There's cognitive dissonance. You know why? Because you've been in love relationships and you failed and they failed and everybody in the whole system failed. There's been a bunch of... But... uh, I'm glad I finally got to some part of the message that somebody resonates with on today. But love... Oh... God's love. The God kind of love, agape love, the love that comes down from heaven that is pure and and untainted, the love of God that sees the value in the loved and loves them just because they are, not because of what they bring to the table. See, you got in that relationship because you thought he was fine or you thought she was fine and they were going to make you feel really good and they were going to bring something to your life that you didn't have. And that's, some of that's valid, but you weren't thinking about what can I give and they weren't thinking about what they could give either. All of you were thinking about what I can get. What have you done? Calm down over here. Uh, Church getting rowdy up in here. I would call for security. I ain't got none. But you know what I'm saying? The love, and this is the love that we are getting towards and that we're striving towards and that we want God to develop in our lives, in our hearts, in our midst, in our church, in our families, that we want to learn to, that we want to grow up into the kind of love that never fails because it's God's love. He says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. You know, uh, when you get to the other side, it won't want nobody to say, does say it the Lord. The Lord is right there. Shut up. <laughs> oh, one day, it would, one day there would be, a, we ain't no one day we're here. He says, they will cease where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, guess what, you don't know it all. And we prophesy in part, even when you prophesy, it's subject to judgment because you might hit or miss with that. That's why you, somebody who calls themselves a prophet, take them with a grain of salt with the scripture and, and ask God to guide you through that and don't be gullible for that. He says, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, he writes. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about living, growing up into a life of love. As he says, all these, the spiritual gifts that the Corinthians are so infatuated with, all of them, they will all, all this stuff, a lot of, all this church stuff we do, other than the pure worship of God, all the trappings are going to fall away. You know, in eternity, we won't be taking a collection. Won't be praying for the sick. Won't be prophesying. Won't really be praying. We'll be praising because we'll be in his presence. But a lot of things we do now, we ain't going to be doing. He says, so, you know, you, you grow up into fullness. And that's the same thing with regard to love. We, we start out as children. We start out as infants. And then we grow into maturity. He says, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. He says, for now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. In other words, we don't see the whole thing, right? You don't see it. I don't see it. He says, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Love's permanence. This is the deal. He says, love will never fail. Love will never pass away. All the stuff that we, all the trap. He says, listen, he says, in the end, he says this. He says, uh, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. Pray with me. I'm going to get to the end of this. All of this stuff is, that's necessary now is still only temporary. It, it's, not, it's not eternal. It's kind of like a space rocket. You know, when they send up a space rocket, you know, it's not like they have, like, the, 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 the shuttle, the space shuttle that we use. It's not like they have a rocket, and it's like a car, and you turn on the key. We're going to go into space, and then we're going to come back and park down somewhere. You know, they use a, 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 they use a booster rocket, right? 
and it's stages, right? And they got the, the, the capsule or whatever the payload is, whether it's the space shuttle or whatever, and these rockets, and they go, they take off, and they get up to about 20,000 feet, and guess what happens? <laughs> no, they don't blow up. They, 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 um, they what's the word? Jettison. Separate that other stage because they need that to push them up that high and then they're overcoming gravity speed and then there's another section and they get out in space they drop off some more of that and then they're out in space they got their little rockets the little jets to rockets to move them around and stuff and when they come back in they're just going to come in on gravity but do you they didn't they don't need all that stuff up in space they just need to get there you won't need prophecy in heaven but you just need it to help you get there you won't need all of all of the trappings of of the faith and worship that we have now all, all of the prophecy and the words and the knowledge and all that you won't, you won't need that, but it's pushing you where you need to be. It passes away, but love never fails. Now I'm, I'm almost done, right? Say so we're glad, Pastor. I'm not, I, but listen, this is too important for me to, 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 to not not finish. The Greek word for fail, the word in the Greek is the word pipto, which dates back to classic Greek, and it means to fall from a high position. It's used uh, to depict a warrior who fell in battle. And so the idea is that love will never fall from its high position. Love will never fail or fall like a warrior in battle. Love never disappoints or fails. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, let me tell you something. I don't know if you realize this. But we as people fail and disappoint each other all the time. It's probably not a good idea to build a relationship upon the the notion that I will never let you down. You, you know, baby, I, I'm never, I'm never going to let you down. I'm always be there for you. I'm never, ever, never, ever, ever, whatsoever, never going to let you down. You're going to let her down. You know why? Because you're human. I'm a, you know, I'm your pastor. I'm never going to let you down. Never going to disappoint you. Some of you said, Pastor, that, that was done 20 years ago. <laughs> we, we know better than that. Those kind of promises are, 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 are useless because we are human beings. We fail each other. And if you feel like you've been let down by somebody along the way, guess you probably have. And that's not such a big deal if you put it in context because I know you say, well, I was, I was there and they, they weren't there for me and they let me down. But just remember this, that at some point in your life, Somebody will want you to be there for them, and you will probably let them down because we are not perfect. But God is telling us, listen, I understand your limited human love, but my love, my agape love, my selfless love, my sacrificial love, my love that sent the Savior to the cross, that love will never fail you. Some of you know in your relationship with God that God's love has never failed you. God's love has never let you down. God's love has never disappointed you. God's love has never come up short. He's always been there for you. It's one of those kinds of loves that can, you can always depend on that the kind of love that will always be there for you it's always reliable constant unchanging unbendable okay let me so what does this mean well here's the deal okay you talk about love say well pastor praise the lord how many you know i I could say i could preach this how many y'all love the lord and your hands going hey praise me 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 how many y'all love your brothers and your sisters some of the hands go down the response is somewhat um, attenuated. <laughs> we, love means that we love not just Jesus, but we, we're called upon to love people. We're called upon to love the church. That's what Paul is writing about here. He says this is, this is the love that brings substance to our lives and excellence to our, to our character. And so here's the thing I want to ask you as we kind of begin to wrap this up. Are, are we willing? Are we willing to be patient? Are we willing to be patient with each other? Are, are we willing to really accept each other as we really are? And you know in church, we've been saying that since, I've been hearing that since, that since Hector was a pup. And I don't even know who Hector is. But I, I've been hearing that, you know, uh, this is a church where everybody is somebody and you can come as you are. Just make sure that you have on a, a suit and, some, and, 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 and a tie and you have, then don't let your hair be all over your head. You know what I'm saying? It's like... Everybody is somebody, but the pastor is more body than the rest of y'all. 
And the deacons is in the second level. You know what I'm saying? We, we say all this stuff, right? But, I mean, are we really, can we really get to the place where we say, I, re- I will really accept my brothers and sisters as they are. I don't have to like everything about you. I don't have to even, I, I may have to, you know, check you, check you sometimes. But the thing is, am I willing to love you and to stand with you? Love means that we don't walk away from relationships just because things aren't the way that we want them to be. Love means that we, we, we don't... Walk away from fellowship when conditions or even the behavior of others around us doesn't suit our fancy. I'm sorry, and I say this because I know that a lot of Christians still think we reserve that kind of right to be judgmental, to be, to be condescending, to look down our nose at other people because we maybe have been doing pretty good in our walk for two days. But listen, when... And I'm telling you this because strategically we are placed here in this community, in this city to reach the nations for Christ, to reach this community for Christ, to love people, to communicate and reflect and transmit God's love to a lost and dying world. But we can't do it if we don't have the love. Oh, we, we can't do it unless we learn to walk in that love. People, people will, they will sniff you out. They'll know what's up. People don't care about nothing but themselves. They do. I walked in there, and they, they were looking at, see, we, we have to let go of the religiosity and, and, and some of the things that we do that, we, that, that, that have served us well in our prior lives. But in the mission that we're called to, we're called to live out of love. And so love means that we stop superimposing our, our subjective vision of what the community is supposed to be like on everything around us. And we open our hearts to God. God, what do you want to do in this place? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in my neighbor, my friend, my brother? What do you want from me? We promote God's best for others because we realize that this is God's church. Love means that we show up. Love means that we grow up. Love means that sometimes we need to know when to shut up. Everybody doesn't need to hear the stream of consciousness from your mind. That ain't being real. Sometimes it's being annoying and unhelpful. I want to be real as Jesus was real. Jesus spoke truth to power, spoke the truth in love, but also knew when to spoke, speak words of, of, of kindness and affirmation. Jesus, Jesus was real, and that realness took Jesus all the way to the cross for you and me because he was real loving and real caring and real sacrificial and real committed to his Father's will and really committed to you and me, to our eternal destiny. All right. I got to let me shortcut to the end here. These three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So, I don't know about you, but I am grateful for the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's why I keep you in church for longer than you want to be. That's why I can't stop praising his name. That's why I, I, this is why I, I live my life in, in, in commitment to Christ because I'm grateful for the love of God in Christ. It's the love that, 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 a love that, that bought us, as the old folks said. It's the love that brought us. It's the love that, that taught us, right? It brought us to where we are today from where some of y'all know where you were in the, in the prior season of your life and what the love of God has done for you. But it didn't come to you in the abstract, out of some ray gun out of heaven. Love zapped you. Love came to you through a brother, a sister, a community of people like this, or to somebody who cared, <clears throat> cared enough about you to pray for you. All right. So here's a question. Do we truly love one another? Are we truly committed to one another? Are we merely trying to satisfy our own personal ego, ego needs, or are we committed to loving Jesus and loving his people. I know as a church, there are things, you know, we had a wonderful meeting with our church council yesterday. We were looking at where we are, what we're doing, what we're dreaming of, what we want to do, the things that we need to consider. And we know we, we, we need more space to do what we want to do. We certainly need more money. We need more resources in a number of ways. We'd like more people, both the, the, the people that we want to serve and love and the people that will come alongside us and help us to do what we're called to do. But the one thing we need above all else is more love. The one thing we need before the offering tray is passed and the budget is rendered, before a check is written, before 
something goes down before the band strikes up the next song, what we need is more love. We need a greater experience, a greater expression of God's love in our life together. So I want to ask you as I close, are you walking in the most excellent way? How many of you want that? How many of you want the most excellent way for your life? Isn't it scary to think that we could go through our lives using all of our gifts and all of our giving and our sacrifice only ultimately to gain nothing? And I don't want to turn up 85, 90 years old and think, I sweat out my shirts and stuff. Wrists all achy from playing. Tired. All these Sundays, man, I don't, you know. You know, I haven't missed a Sunday since 2010, I think it is. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, I miss sporting events. I don't even golf, but I could at least go to the golf course. Or or the beach on Sunday. All that stuff I miss. And then God said, well, you know what? I'm sorry, son, but you did did it for you, so it doesn't mean nothing. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? Think about the the money you've given to missions and the the effort you've invested in the lives of people around you, but you did it for you and not out of love. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to go home. 